This is the Gender Card Podcast from Griffith University's Gender Equality Research Network. I'm Nance Haxton, and together we will speak to the vanguard of remarkable researchers breaking down the issues of gender equality, women's leadership and gender inclusivity in all realms of life. Today we look at how gender plays out in sport and how that affects the society in which we live. Dr Adele Pavlidis is a Griffith University social scientist and specialist in the politics of gender on the sporting field. She tells me on this episode of The Gender Card how she started her academic career by joining a local roller derby to totally immerse herself in her PhD research. Now having graduated with her PhD in sport and leisure management, she understands how increasing female participation in contact sports can influence society's attitudes towards women and the power relations that go on behind the scenes that affect that. Adele, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here chatting. (laughs) So here we are at a beautiful sports field at uh, Gold Coast Griffiths campus, watching a bit of training. Tell us a bit about how you started in this area of research. It's a kind of long path. I guess I grew up and my father was an athlete. He played AFL, he played footy, he was chosen to play for the Western Bulldogs and uh, Teddy Whitten was his trainer, which you know he's in the Hall of Fame and I grew up around this very blokey uh, AFL culture that I wasn't included in and that just turned me off AFL to be honest. I'm, I'm not the hugest fan because of my childhood, though I do barry for the Western Bulldogs to some extent. And as I grew up, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for me to play sports. So I played the sports that were deemed suitable for girls. So I played uh, tennis. I was encouraged to play tennis. And, you know, I was okay at that. I swam. That's always an appropriate sport for girls and women. And I eventually played hockey, so I love team sports and I didn't have much opportunities and then I got to high school and had the opportunity to play hockey, which I loved, And but I was never, I was never a, you know, excellent, it wasn't necessarily my sport, but I loved it. I was captain of my team and we won the premiership and we'd sing in the back of the van and, and then I kind of, life led me in a whole different track and, but I've always loved ideas and philosophy and theory and I I always thought of myself more, if you had to choose between books and sport, I thought I would choose books. And I just love reading. It's my first passion. You know, I would read and read and read. I was, you know, just a voracious early reader. I still love reading all different types of books. And so I thought I had to choose. And so I chose books and, and ideas. And so I went along and I did... I did a Bachelor of Arts and I majored in Literary Studies, so reading more, and I also did Sociology and I did uh, Political Economy. And then I went out in the workforce and I ended up as a youth worker, so I worked with um, young people who were homeless as a residential youth worker and then I worked in the drug and alcohol field for a few years. Gosh, you've Um, really gone through a few different phases. I have. Um, (laughs) And then... I ended up working at Headspace for a little while, Department of Communities, and I was 
you know, I, I really, you know, I was I would always kind of make change and, and contribute wherever I was, but I always felt dissatisfied that what I was learning at uni, like the theory and all these ideas were not getting put into practice. And so I decided that I would do my honours and I did my honours about young people at risk. So I did this project about different, you know, types of young people and socioeconomic status and and then I was ready to do my PhD and I had actually chosen a topic to do a organizational ethnography in a drug and alcohol rehab that also specialize in dual diagnosis so young people with drug and alcohol and mental health so I started that I got in got the scholarship and I was reading all this amazing literature about critiques of psychology and all these different things and I just thought I can't do this it was just really challenging me way too much in not it felt a bit depressing and so I at the time roller derby was on the scene and I thought wow I really like the look of that I'd love to do it and I called up my supervisor and I said I I don't think I can do this she's like okay you're having a deconstructive moment (laughs) she's she's amazing um Professor Simone Fulliger and I said what about if I do roller derby and she said sure why not and so off started my path and I joined a roller derby league. Oh, I, so you actually p- took I part joined, as yeah, well. I did. I bought roller skates. I started training like every day. They told me you have to wear your skates every day. So I started training every day and I worked really hard to meet the minimum skill tests. And oh, This is fully immersive research. Fully immersive. One. I learned to jump <laughs> over a person lying what? down and to skate oh. 27 laps in whatever the time is that you have to do it. Yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable experience being part of the league and I ended up as the secretary of my league and being involved in discussions all over Australia and in the state about the development of the sport. And I was doing all this reading and all of a sudden I realised that it was all about transformation, personal, social and cultural transformation about power relations and about gender. So even though I wasn't looking at mental health or, or drug addiction, it was all still relevant because it was about how do we change, how do we shift who we are, this question of identity, about belonging. So I just found sport is the most awesome site to examine gender relations, power relations, cultural norms. To me, sport is like a lens through which we can view society. It's it's this kind of petri dish where we can really understand and, and it's made visible, all of these things. Because you mentioned, uh, of course, your, your background and... and Look, I have a similar experience. Actually, I remember sitting on the uh, Oval where in primary school when the boys were having their cricket tryouts. I sat up there in protest because, you know, girls weren't allowed to be part of that. And I thought, I know more than them. But, but surely it's different now, Adele. Surely all this is in the past. We've got women's leagues and lots of sports. Are we, are we, is all that behind us? It's a great question. I think we have made a lot of gains and I'm always really upfront to acknowledge that. And, you know, not just at grassroots, in leadership, we've got Kate Palmer as the CEO of Sport Australia. We've got a number of very high profile leaders who are women, which is awesome. We've got more visibility in the media, broadcast rights. We've got, you know, women uh, having legal rights to be able to play. Because just a few years ago, say with the AFL, girls over a certain age couldn't play so so if we have all these legal rights and we have a lot of advancement but culturally I think that we still have quite a way to go I think that culturally women and girls are still seen in some ways as 
somehow fragile and vulnerable in need of protection. And, and to me, it links back to violence against women as well. This idea, this lack of understanding about women and girls, about what women are capable of. This, uh, this, this historic idea that somehow women are less than men or secondary citizens endures. And I'm really about agitating that and, and continuing to push and talk about it. Yes, we have got advancement, but attitudes towards women and knowledge about women and, and what they're capable of is still really lacking. So all those issues overlap from what you're saying it's, it's the, the culture and sport really are intertwined definitely yeah it's all entangled you know so I talk about entanglements in my work about about looking at fragments you know we can't really see there isn't this big picture we can just say we'll just fix that and then we're done it's so much more complex than that it's funny because I think I do hear that from people well surely you know yeah. we've got equal rights now you know we've, we've got the league Surely that's all fine, but it is more complex than that, the entanglement. It is, the entanglement. And then you've got sexuality, you've got gender, you've got sex, then you've got race and ethnicity and socioeconomic class, all of these things that we need to think about in thinking about shifting the culture of sport so that it's not just a place for a certain type of person, that anyone can enjoy the pleasures and the thrill of sporting participation And also, more importantly, that I I love thinking about leadership and I've got a great colleague, Dr. Johanna Nalu, who's really inspired me, but thinking about what makes a leader, it's not just simply somebody who used to play the sport and is now a manager. People can bring all different things to leadership and management and we really need transformational leadership in this space as well, just like we need it in politics. But to me, sport's all about politics. It's about that micro-politics, so which I love, you know. It can be very political in sport, can't it? Yeah. And and, uh, people really take their sport very seriously as well. They do. They do. It's quite quite interesting to see. We've got the AFL grand final on Friday. And I did grow up in Melbourne, so that religious aspect of, uh, you know, barracking for your team. And some people literally will not talk to you if you barrack for a different team or they have a different attitude towards you. I I visited Melbourne a couple of weeks ago. And I reckon in an, in basically a 24-hour period, I was asked which team I barrack for eight times. Definitely, yeah. It's a it very incredible. important party. So that's why I was like, <laughs> yes, I barrack for the Western Bulldogs. I mean, I grew up in Footscray. I have that, you know, I did do that. It's just a really fascinating field where... There are a lot of black and whites in sport because in some ways there needs to be. You've got rules. It's a competition. It's organised. Girls and boys are segregated very early. So there's sometimes the, the, the fact that there is nuance is not brought to the fore. It's not talked about so much. It's like, no, we have, we're black and white. There's winners and losers. But that's not true. Because even though somebody might lose, they might win the next year. Or maybe they lose, but they didn't get injured, right? So this idea of winning and losing really needs to be complicated too. It's hard because it's such a big business as well. That does complicate this discussion. It really, really complicates it. Exactly. Mm. And, and, you know, so my background with political economy and cultural sociology does does benefit in that I'm thinking through all these things at once uh, when I'm looking at sport. So 
thinking about the professionalization of women's sport and how just the idea of a professional sportswoman creates a lot of challenges for, for, for media reporting and for, for fans and managers. You know, how can we... It's, it's similar to in other fields where women are taking up really strong leadership roles. How can we get out of this thinking of women as somehow secondary or less? So I feel like it's going to be a slow cultural shift that when we get to the point where when we talk about an elite sports star, we don't automatically imagine a man. So recently I reviewed this journal article as a blind reviewer, so I won't say what it's about, but it talked about, the title was about elite athletes. All the way through it talked about elite and professional athletes as if they were gender neutral. And as I went through, I'm like, this is a great article. And then I kept reading and I thought, I think they're talking about men. And I kept reading, I'm like, no, they can't possibly just be assuming that when you talk about elite athletes and professional athletes, that you mean men, I mean, they must mean men and women. And as I went on, I realized, yeah, that they're only talking about men. All their research participants were men. And somehow they thought it was okay not to mention that, that we would just assume, of course they are, because they're elite and professional athletes. And so it's just these little things. And that's a researcher working in a university. So it's not, it's not just a left or right thing or educated, uneducated, these ideas, perpetuate and and again one of the arguments a lot of people say oh well that old generation will die and then everything will be fine and I say no I say there are young people who are also holding some of these ideas so that we do have to continue to push and agitate and continue to talk about these things. You've actually got a really interesting example of doing that, of actually visualising in our mind. Um, if you could perhaps tell us that. Yeah, so one of my research participants in a project I was doing, um, interviewing AFL administrators all around the country. So. This participant said that she always uses this technique. So she tells people to close their eyes. Imagine that they're, it's, a sun, it's a Saturday morning, they're at a sports field, they can hear people playing sport, you know, kicking the ball, the referee blows a whistle. And then she asks them to open their eyes and, and ask for people to put your hands up if what, who you imagined were um, boys or men. And she said that most of the time, everybody put up their hands. Everybody imagined that who would be playing sport on a Saturday morning on a field, it would be boys or men. So this idea of a, I love this idea of a cultural imaginary. You know, how do we imagine what something is? So how do we imagine what sport is? We have all these associations. And I'm really about trying to shift what this cultural imaginary of women in sport can be. And, yeah, just trying in subtle ways. It's like a micro-politics of just contributing and contributing and keeping up these conversations. And there are some pretty important overlaps here with media as well that I've noticed in the last, probably just the last couple of years, actually talking about the women's Ashes cricket team or things like that. Mm. Do you think that that is positive or is there really more work that needs to be done from a media perspective to help people visualise women as being in a sport? Uh, Cricket's a good example in that they've purposely gone with the women's team and the men's team rather than the gender neutral term of cricket team and then the women's team. So that's a a great example. You think that's good? Um, That's what cricket's cricket's done that. I think that's great. It's Mm. like, yeah, they are men. Let's call it the (laughs) AFL men. 
because they're men. It's not some gender neutral, like, it's not that men are a whole person and women are somehow, like, different. Uh, you know, we're all human beings. So I just, yeah, it would be, it would be helpful um, to call it what it is, I think. <laughs> And with the media, I think they still perpetuate some of these ideas because, you know, they're, they're doing what maybe what they think audiences want to hear as well and also their editorial and all of these different pressures that they're working under. Again, it's important to have research to be able to uh, show them and their editorial editors what might be better. So, yeah, I um, recently did some work analysing representations of women over the Commonwealth Games and found that though there were a lot more women, those women were presented in very kind of like normative feminine, heterosexual smiling. We called the article White Women Smiling because it was... It was a bunch of white women smiling, so we kind and of... this is the Commonwealth Games, which yeah. had the most incredible so diversity. So much diversity that we had here. And it was disappointing to see this, OK, yes, we're presenting more women, but not representing women in their diversity. You know, women are not, like, uh, all the same. As we know, we're all so different, and yet we're often just grouped together as a class or something. And I just would like to see a bit more diversity in reporting. And another finding from some other research in America was that even though we are getting more research of women in sport, the coverage is often a bit bland. And so the quality is not that high, I think, because, and, and they did longitudinal research over quite maybe 10, 20 year period. Some of this, this on television, some of the same anchors are on those shows, right? So they are being told they must report on women now, and they are, but they're not into it. So, and it shows. And, and you can tell. Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting finding too. And that has an effect, you think, on people's attitude towards women's sport? I definitely mm. think so because the reporting kind of gets you involved in it without the commentary and without that it's not as exciting you know it's all part of it so but you know we are getting new journalists and and more diversity in journalism which is really cool so I, I do think it's improving yeah so I guess I'm like optimistic but always making sure that we stay with the issues Commonwealth Games is only 18 months ago like you say this is something it's still very current um, yeah. that people you can see how these attitudes do continue when there's that kind of reporting. I mean, even for us here today, down here at the track, there's a pram on the uh, on the oval while somebody's doing their training. So obviously a, a baby here. Awesome. Still pretty unusual though to see that, isn't it? it? It is, and it's just really exciting. I think in the past it was considered if a woman had a baby, then that was it. Her sporting career was over. But nowadays women are showing that actually you know they can continue to compete just because a woman has uh well a, a, a cis woman can have babies and reproduce doesn't mean her body is any more yeah vulnerable or fragile so i think in the past reproductive organs were like a reason for excluding women and now i think we know that that's just not true so uh, what are some of the other hurdles that are left to still overcome would you say Adele? <laughs> Many uh, hurdles uh, <laughs> so I think that definitely you know women in leadership and governance models so fit, rather than always doing what we've always done I'd love to see some really shaking up of 
of how a committee is brought together, what kind of skills they think are necessary for, for a board and for governance. I think there's some assumptions that we must have this or we must have that. Where maybe that's better with staff and what you might need on the board is more about a different set of skills so when they because you know oh we struggle to get women with the right skills on boards and it's like what do you mean I mean women have skills in so many different areas I'm not exactly sure you know anyone can do the board of directors course and they can be supported to do that it'd be great to see some yeah some scholarships for women or people of diverse genders as well so that's one. Another one that's really coming up as important is violence and abuse in sport. So whether that's by coaches or, you know, teammates or um, just safety, women's safety in sport. So I've got some other colleagues, you know, really passionate about that area. Domestic violence. So in, in rural clubs, for example, a woman might, you know, be in a domestic violence situation, but her husband might be on a team with the local police officer. And so it's really difficult to get help they're like mates they drink together you know all of these things so you know I think that's an area that really requires more about safeguarding women in sport sexual harassment all of those things I mean you mentioned that even in your own experience is that mm. still an issue uh, for other women mm. I, oh definitely I mean I hear stories all the time and more and more athletes are coming out about abuse that they've suffered I think now it's much harder to get away with but if somebody is vulnerable then they're vulnerable you know if there's someone that doesn't have you know a support network or from a lower socioeconomic status there's all these factors that will make children and women vulnerable in those situations and so yeah I mean it's it's always going to be an issue because there are you know attitudes towards women and also knowledge about what people think is harassment and violence too so that is something that we need to you know I mean some people just don't want to hear about it that actually if you pat someone on the button they are not inviting it that that is harassment and abuse and if there's a power relationship it makes it very you know difficult maybe for them to get out of that get out of that situation just things like that still happen and maybe people like to think they don't well and I think that's why I ask you about it because I think sometimes people perhaps would be surprised and think that these issues are not so much of something that people have to grapple with anymore but obviously women do even yeah. in this day of having a women's league for the AFL as well and, yeah. and other big progressions yeah I think that we still need like consent is a really important topic and something I'm really passionate about because it's not you know it is a ongoing process of gaining of, of gaining consent and being in relationships you know a lot of my research focuses on kind of relationality and relationships and I think that's really at the at the core of it is having ethical relationships with people where there are clear boundaries but also room to collaborate and work together and join when we want but also move apart and thinking of these flows of, of kind of yeah affect is what I call it in my work but yeah these flows between people you know sometimes you're with someone you feel a bit of a vibe and it's exciting it doesn't mean you have to take it somewhere it, it you know it's going to happen a lot of times in your life you're going to feel something click you can't possibly go with it and yeah just ongoing consent you know in in every area and that's important for sport as well because I suppose more and more we are mixing and we've got to show respect yeah definitely mm. respect is a a really good concept that I think you know maybe I could 
think think about it a bit more but I think we need to talk about <laughs> a lot more about respect and what does respect mean and how that is really central for us move for gender relations living in a world where we do coexist and that even though we might still have AFL men's and AFL women's we are going to have people working together of diverse genders we're going to have Auskick you've got you know boys and girls playing together so really focusing on that respect and, and a colleague at University of Sydney Technology Sydney talks about coexistence and how how that will occur in some of these sports too so uh, I mean it's an interesting time particularly we've got the we've got movies like Ride Like a Girl and I find that yeah. that sport is interesting because it's one of the few where men and women actually compete together how has that historically evolved is this still mm. something that's worth discussing that it sh- should it go forward or? I mean it's really interesting mm. though uh, so I just find it fascinating one of these very very successful horses is a girl horse yes um and so to continue winning because when you win so much then you get more weight or whatever it is they're going to age-based races or something where because they're a girl horse they get less weight put on them and it's a horse so it's you know it's quite interesting and then you think about horse racing as a culture and all the gambling and and things like that so and I think there's have been a lot of challenges for for women riders and jockeys as well. I mean, it, it is it's great to see that, and I think that's a great area to be focused on the skill and and abilities that that both genders, all genders, can bring. I mean, even rock climbing was another example where this 14-year-old girl like just did this amazing you know job, and it was always considered that men were definitely better because of their upper body strength it's like well you can do it in a different way and and still have great results too so that's a good example there was an ultra marathon runner that beat all these men and they didn't even have a precedent for it and so we don't know what a body can do all the time we're developing and through training and sports science we can't assume that we already know oh men are like this women are like this I just think that you know, every unique individual has skills and talents and abilities that could be better supported by a culture and a society that doesn't place these kind of unnecessary restrictions on what boys and girls can do. And that is reflected in pay as well? That's been a big exactly. topic of debate, hasn't yeah. it, the last few yeah, years? Yeah, that some this, this question of worth and value is is really at the heart of it, which is why respect is a really good concept, I think, to work through. But this idea that, yeah, the women are worth less, and I'm sure that, you know, we hear about um, men's teams that are su- highly subsidised and, you know, invested in, yet for the women we're not willing to make that investment. It just seems weird. And it seems a bit archaic in in the thinking process and maybe a bit in denial that there is some unconscious bias there in the thinking about what a woman is worth. So I think that those conversations will continue. I mean, I I think of the American soccer team and and there were some really interesting case studies in the last year or two, haven't they, where they've really taken that and said, really questioned it why do we why do we make these assumptions of of worth yes Mm. well that's right it's it's going to be ongoing I think sport is a really interesting place because you know in the past we had alcohol sponsorship we've still got gambling sponsorship so if that's what's bolstering it I think we really need to question what we mean when we say 
worth and value. So, you know, I'm just I'm just a very curious person. It's limitless. There's so much to be curious about. And what about, there are some good stories in this as well. You mentioned yeah. Surf Lifesaving, I think, has been yeah. a really good example well, of how sur- this can work. Surf Australia... I got to hear a couple of their staff members talk about their organisation and the culture they're trying to implement and it's just super exciting. I think action sports like surfing and skateboarding are really interesting sites because they're already I guess non-traditional so there's an opportunity there to do things a bit differently and even though they're elite and professional sports and surfing has equal prize money now on the circuit. so mm, That was I'm, another example in the yeah. last couple of years I was thinking of the big chick photo. and. Yeah. So that seems to have actually helped the sport deal with those issues. I think it will be interesting to see what happens now to women and girls as we go forward. There's amazing surfers. So, yeah, the the leadership and management at coaching and at the director level are just really coming forward with a really holistic approach. And I think that, you know, that could really transform the way the sport, you know, operates and what they value and how they move forward. When I look at uh, the AFL Women's League, they've, they've had their issues, but you, are you confident that we can work through those and it will only get stronger? I think definitely it will continue to to grow and having more women in leadership roles I think is important. You've got to admit, I mean, it's a very blokey culture. It They're has taking been it to the heart of it. To the very, 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 very long time. And... Uh, it's it's going to take time and I think you know just acknowledging that to start with that historically it has been you know a a male dominated very much white as well anglo-saxon so even those things about kind of race and ethnicity as well as gender are important to start with about acknowledging that history and and how then to move forward and there's a lot of really great people, women that I've spoken to over the past few years who are doing amazing work and really sticking with it, working with power, the power brokers, in a way that is advancing and, and getting change happening. So that's really cool. I'm excited to see more teams, even though people are like, oh, we don't have the talent. Um, always talking about talent. And I it's think, a different size ball yeah, or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm really excited about more teams coming in because it's more uh, more people, more, more women for us to get to know and we can find women that we can relate to and I think that that's really exciting having all the different clubs and and that and it's also you know all the different traditions so you've got the new clubs like uh, you know the Giants and AFL Suns they'll have their women's team and I think those clubs have got a real opportunity to really do it differently because they're not fighting against that whole history and and then you've got the more established clubs that I think it's going to be so good for them to to have women in those organizations like you know, there's been a lot of issues over the years. What happens in these very male-dominated environments with things like drugs and alcohol and violence and, and all of these, you know, cheating and gambling and, and everything? I, I, I think that it, it requires that diversity to really thrive, any, any organisation. And that similar argument that I've heard for businesses, that actually businesses perform better when there are more women involved in leadership, that it's not just an ethical argument. It's actually a financial argument as well. Well, it is, though I do get a little bit annoyed when uh, I'm told that, uh, yeah, the business case uh, said that we should have women because it's good for business. So I don't know. A bit of both, maybe. It's it's definitely a bit of both. It it really is, but... uh, 
yeah, I guess I don't like to be thought of as simply a financial benefit, you know. But you know, that's fine. Uh, we can work with that. We can work with, we can work with, you know, we're good like that. We, we can work with it. It sounds like we're at an interesting crossroads, Adele. Like that you are doing this yeah. extensive research at an interesting time. I there is know. a lot of change. I mean, you know, who mm. knew I did, a, I did a PhD about roller derby, like the most, one of the most obscure fringe sports. And then women's sport just exploded and became a, a very political mainstream issue in Australian society. And it's just been really exciting to be able to take those insights that all of that extensive deep research that I did and think about it in a different context. So it's super exciting and I, you know, I will continue to, to do this type of research and I love to collaborate with different people and see the different ideas that can emerge. So that's yeah, one of my main kind of, yeah, I love, I love to do that. And just to finish Adele, I would love to ask you, what do you dream or we were talking about visualizing before, what yes. do you visualize yeah. Australian women's sport to be in yeah. years to come? What, what would you hope for? I would like to see like overall a more sustainable sport where maybe we don't put so much pressure on elite sports people to be held up as heroes. Maybe people aren't making multi-million dollars. You know, it sounds weird and probably nobody's going to like that, but (laughs) that it is more sustainable, that we're not drawing on gambling in order to bolster salaries, that it's something that you can make a great career out of if you're a man or a woman, but that we know that careers do end in sport and that there's a life there's life after sport so it's a more holistic idea of what sport is so that's my vision is that it's more inclusive for everyone for women and for men and that we have you know non-gender binary people and trans women and trans men because we're not so focused on this absolute like pivotal like competition it's about achievement and and not just participating you know everybody in sport they like to win but you don't have to win every time and you're not you're definitely not going to win every time everyone you're going to lose sometimes and and taking that in into sport as well well thank you very much Adele for joining us on the podcast thanks so much Nance great to be here That was Dr Adele Pavlidis, lecturer in sociology and member of Griffith University's Gender Equality Research Network. And that's all for this episode of The Gender Card. This podcast was produced for the Gender Equality Research Network by Nance Haxton, with production assistance from Michael Adams. Stay up to date with this Griffith University podcast on SoundCloud. Speak to you again soon.